2: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
3: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
2: Learn more at meta.com
3: slash metaverseimpact.
4: This is a Law & Crime Network presentation.
0: This episode contains themes and descriptions of sexual assault, violence, suicide, and self-harm. Listener discretion is advised. Your time in college is often referred to as the best years of your life. It's supposed to be a time of learning, not just about your chosen academic topic, but about yourself, too. Many young students leave their parents in their hometowns and experience the first taste of independence on the cusp of adulthood. This period in our lives leaves us vulnerable. We struggle to fit in and find our place in unfamiliar surroundings. But if there was one place for those who feel that way, it was Sarah Lawrence College. I often call the college the land of broken toys. One of the school slogans is, we're different, so are you. This is a quality of Sarah Lawrence College that one man exploited to create what has all the hallmarks of a cult on campus in late 2010. My name's Elizabeth Rome. I'm an actress and a proud Sarah Lawrence College graduate. Composed from thousands of pages of transcripts, exhibits, audio files, firsthand accounts, and contemporary research, this long crime production uses voice actors to give you an immersive insight into one of the most bizarre cases in recent memory. This is Devil in the Dorm. Larry was arrested during the early morning raid you heard about in the last episode, and the FBI desperately wanted to interview him. But Larry wouldn't concede without a fight. He told a federal judge he was exceedingly groggy and exhausted on the morning of the interview. He said he got into bed at 2.30 a.m., less than four hours before the search, and had taken NyQuil, Excedrin, and a shot of vodka before going to sleep. He recalled waking up to a gun pointed at him and hearing the command, ''Hands up.'' U.S. District Judge Louis Lyman did not buy Larry's narrative, and in a ruling he pointed out that the convicted securities fraudster was hardly a neophyte to the criminal justice system. The judge said, ''He was an educated adult. He was in a position to understand the words that he was read and the form that he was given and to appreciate the significance of the interview.'' Agent McGuire testified that Mr. Ray had previously been arrested 10 times. That same day, February 11th, 2020, prosecutors announced the charges against him at a press conference.
4: I'm Jeff Berman, U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York. Today, we announce criminal charges against this man, Lawrence Ray, who for nearly a decade exploited and abused young women and men emotionally, physically, and sexually for his own financial gain. As alleged, the indictment that we unsealed earlier today, Ray ensnared many of his victims while they were teenagers, a time of particular vulnerability for the young people he preyed on. Ray's first victims were sophomores at a college in Westchester County, girls and boys young enough to be his children. In fact, his initial victims were his daughter's college roommates.
0: Prosecutors explicitly credited Larry Ray's capture to the press coverage.
4: Our investigation was prompted by a magazine article that was published in April 2019.
0: The FBI's special agent in charge, Bill Sweeney, was typically reserved in his public statements, but he delivered uncharacteristically emotional words about the suspect.
4: I don't know if I have a uh, reaction about his past behavior, the conduct of last year is outrageous. Uh, It makes you angry. If you're not angry, you don't have a soul.
0: As details of the arrest swept through the Sarah Lawrence community like wildfire, many questions were raised regarding the university and whether they knew anything about what had been taking place and whether they knew that Larry was living in the dorm with the students. Sarah Lawrence officials claimed that after the damning piece in New York Magazine, they conducted their own internal investigation, which failed to substantiate the claims. In a statement they said, The charges contained in the indictment are serious, wide-ranging, disturbing, and upsetting. As always, the safety and well-being of our students and alumni is a priority for the college. President of the college, Christy Collins Judd, also released a statement which read in part, Perhaps because the apartment in question was a small townhouse with its own entrance, students in other housing would not necessarily have been aware of the presence and have told us that they were not of this student's father. What we do know is that no reports about this parent's presence on campus during that semester, formal or informal, were lodged by students sharing that small living space, by their student neighbors, or by anyone else. Throughout this series, we have reached out numerous times to Sarah Lawrence College about what their professors and administrators knew And when they knew it, the college declined to comment on their actions or on Larry's case. It should be noted that much of Larry's abuse of the Sarah Lawrence students happened after he lured them away from the campus and into his Upper East Side apartment in Manhattan. The U.S. attorney initially charged Larry with nine federal counts, including sex trafficking, extortion, and forced labor. Though authorities never used the word in their roughly 13-minute press conference, Larry's prosecution came to be known as the Sarah Lawrence College sex cult case. Ex-federal prosecutor, Maura Penza, prosecuted the case of Keith Raniere, the man widely described as the leader of the Nexium sex cult. She explains why the government rarely uses that term.
3: Personally, I never used the word cult during the Nexium trial or never described Nexium as a cult because, as a prosecutor, what was important was that Nexium, and I think the same thing is true in the Larry Ray case, that these individuals and the people who were surrounding them were operating as criminal enterprises.
0: As a Sarah Lawrence alum, I could have been a victim of Larry Ray and I wanted to learn how he accomplished it. In this episode, we explore that question through thousands of pages of court records, transcripts, and exhibits. We also interview experts experienced in high-profile sex trafficking and cult cases to explain how abusers win the trust of their young victims. You probably have heard the word for one of their methods, grooming.
3: Grooming is the process by which predators, either themselves or through other enablers, normalize behaviors in a really insidious way that someone would not normally consent to at the outset, but through a long period of time and very slowly and methodically and often with a lot of manipulation they will try to normalize certain behaviors so that somebody is incapable, really, of saying no at a certain point.
0: Moira Penza helped take down Nexium cult leader Keith Ranieri, who's serving what is effectively a life sentence for sex trafficking and forced labor. Some of that man's victims reported that Raniere tattooed them with his initials, using a hot iron branding them near their genitals. As in the Larry Ray case, the sordid crimes of the Nexium cult did not begin with physical and sexual abuse. They began with a promise of help.
3: I think in the Larry Ray case in particular, first of all, you have very young individuals. People's brains aren't fully formed until they're 25. So you have these young teenagers, really, who are very vulnerable. They're really in the world by themselves for the first time. And this man comes in and he comes in in a way that there is a lot of mystique around him, some of which is true and verifiable, right? He's coming out of prison. He has this history where He does seem like this larger-than-life character.
0: As experts note, it's not unusual for young victims to be lured in by abusers slowly before things escalate.
3: Larry Ray is a sort of paradigmatic example of grooming, and he used both positive and negative reinforcement. The positive reinforcement was explaining to the people who he was grooming that what they were doing as sexualized behavior was entirely appropriate. It was a statement of their own individuality. And then there was very severe negative grooming. You're stupid. It doesn't matter that you're at this elite university. You're never going to amount to anything. Your only value in life is your ability to please my dictates.
0: That's Mitchell Eppner a former federal prosecutor who led intake for sex trafficking cases in the District of New Jersey in the early 2000s, shortly after the modern federal sex trafficking statute was enacted. With Larry behind bars, he vehemently professed his innocence, once again claiming that the group of students and the allegations against him were part of an elaborate conspiracy cooked up by Bernard Carrick and his cohorts. Larry Ray was not the only person arrested and charged. Isabella Pollock was named as a co-conspirator, and in October 2021, Larry and Isabella were ordered to stand trial separately. In a revised indictment returned by a grand jury in January 2022, Larry Ray was charged with 17 counts including racketeering, conspiracy, extortion, conspiracy to commit sex trafficking, forced labor, money laundering, committing a violent crime in aid of racketeering and tax evasion. In a hearing held in September 2022, Isabella Pollack admitted to a single money laundering conspiracy count. After pleading guilty, Isabella told the judge that she had helped Larry Ray conceal the money that she knew came from illegal activities including sex trafficking and extortion. She said, I know that what I was doing was wrong and against the law. The counts related to the incident with Claudia in the hotel room in October 2018 and the money Isabella collected and deposited in the days that followed. After the hearing, Isabella's attorney, David Keith Burton, told reporters that he hoped the plea would allow Isabella to move on with her life. Larry Ray's trial began on March 10, 2022. The prosecution called 18 witnesses, including five of Larry Ray's victims, Santos, Felicia, and Yelitza Rosario, their mother Maritza, and Claudia Drury. You've heard a lot of their testimony throughout this series. There were also six witnesses who were members of law enforcement. A forensic accountant with the FBI, Special Agent Kelly McGuire, the case agent from the FBI, Special Agent Rachel Graves from the Child Exploitation and Human Trafficking Task Force, FBI forensic examiner Matthew Frost, FBI computer analyst Stephen Flatley, and an IRS revenue agent. Other witnesses include Kyle Slieger, who worked for GoDaddy, Julia Gonzalez, a friend of Felicia Rosario's, the doorman who worked in the New York apartment building and one of Claudia's clients. The jury also heard expert testimony from clinical and forensic psychologist Don Hughes and Andrew Peterson, a radio frequency engineer who was trained in cell site analysis. It was disclosed during the trial that the FBI had recovered tens of thousands of files from the raid on Larry's home. According to Larry's defense attorneys, the sheer amount of files was eye-watering. They stated,
5: To be sure, the government did not turn over 750 million pages of documents. Instead, the government produced tens of thousands of video files, more than 150,000 audio files and countless other files and materials that are in many ways more burdensome than simple paper documents that can be reviewed with the assistance of keyword searches. The audio and video files alone require incalculable listening hours and securing transcriptions that must then be read.
0: Together with the COVID-19 pandemic, the Mammoth Evidence Hall had delayed the trial for years but a judge had decided that the plethora of recordings could be used against Larry. As reporter James Walsh noted, Larry seemed to believe the recordings would exonerate him.
4: I mean, this is a guy who was a hoarder um, in every sense of the word. And and so the fact that he had all these videos, in his mind, I think, a lot of this is evidence he kept for culpability purposes, that he thinks that um, by forcing somebody to write a confession letter, it could he could cash that in one day um, in court.
2: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
0: During Larry's trial, the subject of cults mainly came up through the evidence of what he was reading at the time. The FBI had discovered that Larry had researched articles titled, Cult Membership, What Factors Contribute to Joining or Leaving, Cults and Mental Health, and Studies on Attachment Theory and Mind Control. One of the charges Larry Ray was facing was a racketeering charge. To support such a charge, there needs to be an enterprise. The prosecution explained.
2: The law recognizes that when people commit crimes as part of an organized group, what the law calls an enterprise, they are more powerful and more dangerous. And that is exactly what you saw here. The enterprise here is the Ray family.
0: Lead prosecutor, Assistant U.S. Attorney Danielle Sassoon told the jury during the opening statements that alienating the young students from their familiar settings was part
2: of Larry's plan. The evidence at this trial will show you that this man, the defendant, Lawrence Ray, used violence, fear, sex, and manipulation to get what he wanted, power and money. You see, Ray was the leader of a small criminal organization, what he himself sometimes called the Ray family. They were involved in sex trafficking, extortion, assault, threats, forced labor, money laundering, and tax evasion. These were crimes designed to enrich him and his trusted inner circle and to brutally victimize others. During this trial, you will learn how the defendant built and controlled his criminal organization and about the crimes he committed as the head of that organization. The defendant strategically isolated his victims from their closest friends and family. He withdrew his kindness and he used their insecurities to torment them. Once the defendant gained control of his victims' lives, he took over their lives where they went, who they spoke to, what they ate, when they slept. Then he slowly stripped away their ability to trust even their own judgment. He insisted that minor mistakes or accidents that took place in his apartment, like misplacing a tool or scratching a pan, were intentional efforts to sabotage him and disrupt the group's progress. Make no mistake. The victims had no choice. They lived in fear of the defendant, of his never ceasing accusations, of his threats, and of the brutal violence that he inflicted on them. Through it all, the defendant maintained his charade, insisting that everything he did, he did to help his victims. In reality, he was extorting them, threatening them, and forcing them to do his bidding and the bidding of the Ray family all the while he was enriching himself. And during this trial, you will learn that everything the defendant did, he did for himself and for the people who committed crimes with him. For sex, money, and power.
0: Larry's defense attorneys from the Federal Defenders of New York latched onto their client's larger-than-life persona and called the case something like a storybook. One lawyer told the jurors,
5: this case is about a group of storytellers. Twelve years ago, Larry Ray wanted to reunite and reconnect with his daughter. She lived with a group of her friends. And reconnecting with his daughter, he began to tell her his stories. He told her friends his stories, too. And these are some pretty wild stories. He talked about hobnobbing with Gorbachev, the former head of the Soviet Union. He talked about being the best man at Bernard Kirk's wedding, the former New York City chief of police. He talked about being friends with high-ranking military generals. Larry's stories were full of mystery, intrigue, and excitement, and his daughter's friends liked hearing them. They wanted to hear more. So they kept talking and talking. The others started to share their stories. At first... They told their stories about their lives, just like Larry had. But over time, their stories grew. Over months and months, over years of telling and retelling these stories, details were added as the stories built on each other. As they shared their stories, they linked the villains and Larry's stories to their own. Over time, their stories, too, were full of mystery, intrigue. And excitement. These were stories of poisoning drug dealers and deceit. Each storyteller jumped off from where the other one had ended, embellishing with their own details and weaving the threads of this story into one fantastic conspiracy. This was not a criminal enterprise. This was a group of storytellers.
0: If the case of Larry Ray were a novel, The defense suggested it would be something out of the surreal world of Lewis Carroll. Larry's lawyer borrowed an image out of Alice in Wonderland. They said,
5: Now, you may be thinking, that sounds pretty strange, and you're going to hear some outlandish things as this case goes on. But to understand what you're going to hear, you are going to need to go through the looking glass, step through the magic mirror, and into another world. Into the messy complicated and yet strange lives of Larry Ray, Claudia Drury, the Rosario siblings, and some old friends, through the looking glass, you'll see that the faith of the storytellers in their stories was complete.
0: Remember what we learned earlier in the series about Larry Ray's past? Larry was, in fact, the best man at ex-NYPD Chief Bernard Carrick's wedding. There are photographs of Larry introducing Carrick and then New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani to ex-Russian President Mikhail Gorbachev. There is plenty of evidence, including court records from his earlier prosecution in the Eastern District of New York, indicating that he cooperated with the federal government against Russian and Italian organized crime figures. For prosecutors, Larry's bizarre background was how he cultivated his mystique, instill fear in his young victims about his supposed power and influence. Larry's defense attorneys, however, argued that their client truly believed that he made powerful enemies bent on persecuting him. They argued that Larry didn't try to extort his victims into making false confessions. Larry truly believed that his enemies were everywhere, trying to poison him, entrap him, and tear apart his family, according to the defense. Larry constantly accused his victims of colluding with Carrick. And in a well-publicized incident, one of Carrick's associates was actually recorded pummeling Larry inside a hotel on September 17,
4: 2015. I was knocked out and he kept hitting me in this area. Larry Ray is the FBI informant who was once Bernie Carrick's close friend. His information in part led to Carrick
5: going to prison for corruption. Now, Ray says this man Carrick friend Frank
4: DiTomaso attacked him.
0: Carrick was convicted in part because of $165,000 in free renovations that he received from Frank DiTomaso, a construction executive whose company Interstate allegedly had mob connections, according to the New York Times. After this incident, DiTomaso was charged with assault, but he ultimately pleaded down to disorderly conduct. Unknown at the time at that NBC broadcast, the witnesses Larry spoke about were two of his victims, Santos Rosario and Claudia Drury. Both testified about it at trial. Larry's defense attorneys showed footage of Di Tommaso's attack to the jury, suggesting that the video validated their client's yarns. The lawyer said,
5: Suddenly, the villains in Larry's stories became real. You saw a video of the attack. You heard Claudia and Santos testify about it. Frank DiTomaso struck Larry in the head and the face multiple times. Larry didn't strike back. For years, Claudia and Santos had been confessing to harming Larry at the behest of Frank DiTomaso and Bernie Carrick. These were stories. They were fiction, but they all believed. And now, there was evidence. Frank Tommaso, one of Larry's sworn enemies, one of the orchestrators of the poisoning, had attacked Larry in public. This was real.
0: Larry's attorneys did not argue that his victims were really in cahoots with their clients' sworn enemies, only that the group supposedly believed they were. The attorneys largely weren't questioning what Larry did, They seem to just dispute his criminal intent. The lawyer said,
5: Larry is charged with very, very specific crimes, each of which has a number of elements. The question before you is not whether or not you approve of Larry's actions. You cannot convict Larry unless you find him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of each and every element of the offenses charged.
0: In 2016, Larry even sent a correspondence to the former Manhattan U.S. attorney Preet Bharara about his supposed poisoning, a message that was seemingly ignored. Larry's attorneys cited that email in an attempt to exonerate their client. They said,
5: If you think that Larry Ray believed that he was poisoned, believed that he was owed money for damages, you must find him not guilty.
0: And what about Claudia Drury? All of the information that Larry collected on her for the purposes of blackmail would be used against him. An FBI forensic accountant traced the money going from the men who appeared on her client list to Larry and to the many hotels where Claudia effectively lived for four years. The government had hotel receipts and cell phone site records recording cash handoffs to Isabella, the lieutenant, How could Larry's defense attorneys provide an innocent explanation for his receiving large sums of money from Claudia's commercial sex work? They didn't deny the arrangement, but they tried to cast it, much like Larry did, as a consensual part of Claudia's erotic awakening. To do that, defense attorneys latched onto Sarah Lawrence's reputation as a liberal arts college where at least one week per year seemingly anything goes. During that cross-examination, Claudia acknowledged that Larry wasn't around when she went to the BDSM and sex clubs that were heard about in earlier episodes. Those encounters took place before her sex work. One of the few allegations that Larry tried to dispute was over Claudia's torture, which if believed, would have been fatal to the defense's depiction of her as a happy sex worker. But Larry's lawyers had a problem. The audio tape showed him interrogating her that night. Cell phone tower records placed Isabella Pollock in the area, just as Claudia said, and prosecutors even obtained a signed receipt of Larry and Isabella's dinner that night at the Starlight Diner. Just like Claudia Drury said, Larry and Pollock ordered burgers. Only Larry and Isabella wrote their initials on the receipt. The prosecutors used this to bolster their belief and told the jury...
2: Think about that, ladies and gentlemen. She remembers what she ate on a night four years ago. Do you remember what you ate on any night last week? Claudia remembered, because this night of abuse is seared in her memory.
0: As for why Larry felt entitled to Claudia's money, the defense floated a bold argument, the so-called advice of counsel defense. Larry argued that his former attorney, Glenn Ripa, told him he could legally accept Claudia's money in compensation for supposedly poisoning him. The defense even called the attorney to the witness stand to confirm that he gave that advice. The attorney, Mr. Rippa, testified, Claudia Drury admitted to me, and she actually gave a written confession, about her poisoning Larry Ray, and it was my understanding that she was giving him restitution in compensation for her poisoning him. Larry's old lawyer testified that he had been paid in cash. Even though he said he knew how Claudia made her money, he denied knowing just how much she gave to Larry. During closing arguments, prosecutors urged a jury to reject what they described as Larry's outrageous and insulting defense. You should also reject the defense effort to shame Claudia as a slut who wanted to be a sex worker The prosecutor thundered, inviting a furious objection from the defense table. The judge overruled the defense and the prosecution's summations continued. The prosecutor said,
2: Those suggestions are outrageous and insulting. Claudia, a graduate of Sarah Lawrence College, an advanced mathematics student, did not wake up one morning and decide that her life dream was to make money by having sex with men between the ages of 18 and 85 years old, seven days a week, almost 24 hours a day, and then to give nearly every cent to the defendant while she lived like a homeless person. You know from what you've seen at this trial that the defendant forced her to that place, forced her to become a sex worker, And I'll remind you of some of the things that you learned at this trial. The defendant isolated her. He drove her to be friendless, parentless, and homeless. He convinced her that she was homicidal and mentally unwell, and that paying him was her only hope of redemption. He inflicted violence on her and in the presence of others. He coerced her to confess to horrible crimes that she did not commit. He threatened to send her to prison if she did not make monetary repairs and fast.
0: For prosecutors, Larry's claim that he believed he was being
2: poisoned was nonsense. They said, If you really and truly believed that someone was trying to poison you and your daughter, that they had poisoned you with mercury, with cyanide, with arsenic, would you sit around your living room with them? Would you go to dinners together? Would you live under the same roof? Of course not.
0: And even if he did believe that, prosecutors said, they would not absolve Larry. They addressed the jurors and said,
2: Imagine the world we would live in if thinking you were a victim gave you license to behave like a crime boss, to extort people, to sex traffic them, to force them into labor. Thankfully, that's not the world we live in. We live in a country with the rule of law. Suffocation, blackmail, punches to the face, a hammer to the knees, forced labor, forced prostitution. That is not how you collect money, even if you think you deserve it. That's extortion. It's sex trafficking. It's criminal.
0: After two days of closing arguments, Judge Lyman delivered detailed instructions to the jury on fine points of law involving 15 serious criminal offenses, and then sent them home for the day. Deliberations began the following morning at 10.16 a.m. By 2.39 p.m., the jury had reached a unanimous verdict. Suspense mounted in the courtroom as the foreperson handed the verdict to the deputy who asked the four person to recite their findings on more than a dozen charges? On each of the 15 counts, the four person was asked if they found Larry Ray guilty or not guilty. Fifteen times the response was guilty. The verdict was in and resounding. Larry Ray had been convicted of racketeering, sex trafficking, forced labor, extortion, money laundering, and other offenses. According to Felicia Rosario, Larry Ray once claimed that he was related to Al Capone, and there's no evidence that's true. But by the end of the trial, Larry had something in common with Capone. Both were convicted of tax evasion. It was a thundering conclusion to a nearly month-long trial. Two years after Larry's indictment, and more than a decade after he entered the lives of his victims. So much time had passed that a new Manhattan U.S. attorney, Damian Williams, celebrated the verdict. The case had been brought not by his predecessor, but by the predecessor of his predecessor.
5: Let me be very clear. Larry Ray is a predator, an evil man who did evil things. Today's verdict finally brings him to justice. This verdict would not have been possible without the victims who testified in court. We are in awe of their bravery in the face of incredible
0: trauma. But even now, more than a decade after the conspiracy began, more of this story has yet to unfold. Prosecutors called Larry a crime boss, and a jury has now convicted him as a racketeer. So will other members of his enterprise be next? And if so, what will that look like? Even though the government has never charged daughter, Talia Ray, with a crime, a prosecutor all but accused her of being a co-conspirator
2: during closing arguments. They said, What began in college housing ended with victims exploited through sex trafficking, forced labor, extortion, while the defendant and his lieutenant, Isabella, and his daughter, Talia, got rich. Prosecutors
0: showed the jury financial transactions and played audio recordings that they described as damning proof of Talia's complicity. The lines forced Larry's defense attorney to leap to the defense of his daughter. They said,
5: The government's evidence of Talia's membership in this so-called enterprise establishes precisely two things. One, she loved and trusted her father, adopting his belief that they had been poisoned. And two, she was a mean girl.
0: Prosecutors scoffed at the
2: comparison to the Lindsay Lohan movie and retorted, Talia Ray, she was more than a mean girl. Mean girls, they don't let you sit at the lunch table. They don't extort you for tens of thousands of dollars. Talia's conduct establishes that she was a member of this criminal organization. We
0: reached out for more information about whether Talia Ray has been considered for prosecution. Her representatives declined to comment. Shortly after he was convicted, Larry Ray appealed against the count relating to the assault and torture he inflicted on Claudia Drury in the hotel room in 2018. His argument was that the indictment did not meet the definition of second-degree assault because Claudia was not physically impaired enough or caused enough pain. His motion to dismiss the count was denied in November 2022, and his sentencing was set for January 20, 2023. According to the New York Magazine reporters who uncovered the case, Larry Ray estimated that there were 12 suicide attempts in the group, A sobering statistic in processing Larry's toll on his followers. All three Rosario siblings testified that they attempted to kill themselves. And what about Sarah Lawrence College? As a proud alumni, I am keenly interested in their accountability for what happened to the students on their campus. But they also declined to speak to us on the record. So far, Sarah Lawrence appears to have escaped civil litigation in the fallout of the Larry Ray story. Neither the authors of the New York Magazine expose, nor Law and Crime, could locate any lawsuit filed against the college. Earlier in the series, we mentioned a young man named Ebon, who was a friend of Talia that became a Marine at Larry Ray's urging in 2006 and later followed Larry's teachings eagerly after returning from deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Iban was Larry's most loyal follower, and a few months after Larry was arrested in 2020, he took his own life. In the prosecution's sentencing memo from January 13, 2023, Iban Goa was placed in the same category as the other members of the group who
2: Larry had controlled. It reads, in part, With the defendant's arrest and conviction, his victims are left to sort through the wreckage and reckon with the lasting damage from the defendant's crimes. But one victim has no prospect of rebuilding a life. Iban Goa Kachoa, one of the students over whom the defendant asserted control, committed suicide in May, 2020. While the precipitating cause is unknown, around the time of his suicide, Goa Kachua was still in touch with the defendant and convinced, as other victims were at the time of their suicide attempts, that the defendant was a positive influence on his life. It is plain that the defendant harmed Goa Kachoa and exploited his mental health vulnerabilities, just as he did with his victims who were able to put their experiences into words on the stand. Santos and Drury testified about an incident when the defendant threatened Goa Kachoa with a sharp object to his throat as a supposed therapeutic intervention that involved requiring Goa Kachoa to disavow his parents. The defendant treated the incident as if he had done Goa Kachoa a service and freed Iban from the web of hate and anger that his mother created. The incident illustrates the very same tactics described by testifying victims. Isolation that involved villainizing family members, physical violence, threats, and deprivation.
0: The prosecution highlighted Larry's history of violence, abuse, fraud, and deceit, as well as his disregard for the judicial system. They also mentioned his behavior in court, particularly during Claudia Drury's testimony when he appeared to suffer from a number of medical episodes. The memo reads in part, At least one doctor observed that aspects of the defendant's presenting symptoms were inconsistent with legitimate medical causation, and in other words, fake. U.S. Attorney Molly Bracewell wrote in the 17-page sentencing memo that Larry Ray established control over his victims before exploiting them for his own profit through extortion, sex trafficking, and forced labor. Prosecutors suggested that Larry should owe his victims over $5.5 million in restitution and over $760,000 in unpaid federal taxes and other financial penalties. The prosecution were seeking a life sentence for Larry and wrote
2: He sought to convince his victims that they were worthless, undeserving of love, and irredeemable. And until his arrest in this case, he was succeeding. In order to maintain his control and the lifestyle it ensured, he obstructed justice and threatened his victims with retaliation. He has shown no remorse, accepted no responsibility, and impeded the prosecution of this case, including by disrupting the trial and prolonging the trauma to his victims. Through his conduct, he has shown that he is a danger to others, is incapable of contrition, and must be incapacitated.
0: The defense also submitted a sentencing memo for the judge's consideration. The memo, penned on January 6, 2023, details Larry's fixation with poisoning, something they suggest is rooted in reality. The defense attorneys wrote that there had been no evidence about Larry's childhood during that trial, and said,
5: The physical, sexual, and psychological abuse Lawrence Ray suffered as a child and, through his young adulthood, bears a striking resemblance to the conduct underlying the offenses he now stands convicted of.
0: In the memo, instances of alleged childhood abuse are juxtaposed next to the incidents Larry's victims recalled on the stand. The attorneys wrote that Larry was not allowed to sleep in a bed. He was told that he had ruined his mother's life and he was not allowed to go to the refrigerator, much like he had barred Felicia from doing in Pinehurst. Larry's attorneys also alleged that he was physically abused by his maternal grandmother and subsequently sexually abused by his grandfather before he went to live with his biological father. The memo contends that Larry's pursuit of financial success was propelled by his desire for his mother's attention, something that he never received, no matter what he achieved. The defense asked that the judge sentence Larry Ray to 180 months in prison for the 17 counts he was convicted of. They wrote that the 180-month sentence would be the most just and appropriate, considering, quote,
5: Mr. Ray's personal history and characteristics, including his abusive childhood, advanced age, and medical needs, and the unprecedented conditions of confinement Mr. Ray has endured, for the last three years. For Mr. Ray, now 63 years old, with myriad documented physical ailments, 180 months is effectively a life sentence, sufficient but not greater than necessary to achieve the sentencing aims of deterrence, incapacitation, and punishment.
0: The sentencing hearing was held on January twentieth, 2023, before Judge Lewis Lyman. Claudia Drury was not present in court but a statement she wrote was presented on her behalf. In it, Claudia wrote,
1: What Larry Ray put me through for the eight years and five months that I was in contact with him was unremitting, sadistic torture. He manipulated my thoughts, feelings, and actions to whatever end he chose. The ways he abused me were highly specific and based on my individual vulnerabilities. In our first conversations, he lured me in with the promise of being able to help me make my family a happier one, something that meant so much to me at 19 years old. Later, he manipulated me into believing I had poisoned him and members of his family. I would go to bed many, many nights desperately praying that they would all live through the night and that I would not wake up a murderer. Often this was because Larry would call me late at night to tell me they were dying or about to die. I would go to bed praying this, having been forced to work as a prostitute for every waking moment of the previous day. To earn Larry money to repair the damage, he intentionally and meticulously brainwashed me into believing I was responsible for. This cycle of crushing guilt, anxiety, threat, punishment, An immense pressure was truly torturous. Apart from this horrible context, the experiences I had while being trafficked haunt me today. I feel profoundly in a way that I cannot fully communicate. The emotions and fears I am dealing with as a result are miserable and confusing and terrifying. I can't overstate how deeply I wish this had not happened to me.
0: Claudia continued and spoke about what happened the first time she had defied Larry in the almost decade she had known him.
1: He stripped me naked, bound me to a chair, and suffocated me with a plastic bag over and over again to the point where I was begging for my life. Whenever I would experience moments of intense emotional distress, Larry would accuse me of being a bad actress or B-list actress and punish me for acting whenever I was visibly upset. Because of this, I came to believe that every time I felt strong emotions like fear or sadness, I was being disingenuous. He called me a bad actress that night, in between suffocating me with a used plastic bag and hitting me as I sobbed.
0: Claudia spoke about the effect Larry's abuse had on her three and a half years
1: later. I have nightmares almost every single night. I have been unable to hold any job. Everything exhausts me. The simplest things terrify me. Putting myself back together is difficult and extremely painful and slow. My memory, attention span, and problem-solving capabilities have significantly declined. I am confronted with this every day. I barely have the energy to exist day to day.
0: Claudia then spoke about the media attention and the distress the website Larry created to extort her continues to cause, and how she feels like she still does not have full control of her life. Claudia went on to say how the abuse caused her to develop an eating disorder. She said that she would binge on obscene amounts of food before throwing it all up. All the while, she made Larry Ray millions of dollars. After everything she has been through, Claudia still feels like she bears some of the blame for what
1: happened to her. I am often disgusted with myself. I feel so sorry for bringing this travesty into the lives of my loved ones. I feel like a burden. I feel backwards and unnatural. I try to tell myself it isn't my fault, but I feel responsibility. I'm still so sorry, just like when I believed I had poisoned my closest friends. I am so deeply sorry for all of it.
0: Claudia knows that she did not deserve it. And while she can't forgive Larry Ray, she said she hesitates to condemn him because he forced her to know what it feels like to be irrevocably worsened
1: by ill deeds. He forced me to experience a part of what it must have been like to be him. He forced us to hold his evil for him, to internalize it, to try to reconcile it. It is utterly irreconcilable. Each time we try to put it down, he brutalized us. It was as if he was experimenting on our very souls like lab mice. His evil withered us. It ate our spirits. But I believe it's time he finally is made to face the kind of person he somehow permitted himself to become. He once told me that the root of true evil is cowardice. I think it may be the only honest thing he ever said to me.
0: To end her harrowing and profound statement, Claudia addressed her abuser directly.
1: You are still a human being. You will never be able to escape that or escape the fact of your soul, however, you have tarnished it. Despite painstaking and vicious attempts, I did not lose the ability to see the value of the good in this world. I did not lose the good in me. I am rebuilding. I have a loving family and friends. I believe in God. I have a different future, but it is as bright as the future I had before I ever met him. I am looking forward to the future. I am looking forward to my life.
0: Santos Rosario delivered his own impact statement in the courtroom.
5: He drove me to attempt suicide. I lost my education from one of the top colleges in the country. He physically abused, degraded, and humiliated me. I I became convinced that I was unsafe to be around. He took ten years of my life from me. I have trouble remembering things in general. Your Honor, I ask that you give him a life sentence.
0: Daniel Levin was also present at the sentencing hearing and delivered his statement to the court. Daniel asked those present to the videotaped abuse and interrogations to imagine not just seeing those videos, but living those experiences. He became overwhelmed with emotion as he recalled some of the abuse inflicted on him by Larry Ray, including incidents where he was hit in the ribs with a sledgehammer, had his tongue pulled by pliers, and had sex toys forced into his mouth. Daniel told the court that his hopes would be tinged with fear and noted that the case has been known as a sex cult case. He said that while language can be used to obfuscate, Larry Ray was not the mastermind the label implies. Daniel said, He's just a petty man who seeks power. Assistant U.S. Attorney Molly Bracewell asked the judge to impose a life sentence and said that Larry Ray would remain dangerous at any age. Larry's attorney, Marnie Lennox, said that there was no one in the courtroom to support her client. The defense attorney mentioned the cases of R. Kelly, Jeffrey Epstein, and Ghislaine Maxwell, cases that involved the sexual abuse of minors where the defendants had not received life sentences. She said that none of Larry's victims were minors, but the judge said that Larry's crimes involved a particular evil genius. Larry addressed the court himself in a short statement in which he spoke mostly about his own victimization as an inmate since his arrest in 2020. Larry said in part, These three years have been hard. I've had COVID twice, and I'm in pain all the time. My health conditions have been getting progressively worse. He spoke about having trouble sleeping because of pain and complained that he couldn't access specialist treatment while in jail. Larry also mentioned that his father, stepfather, and stepmother had all died within a short space of time in recent months, but he did not address the victims or acknowledge their suffering at all. U.S. District Judge Louis Lyman spoke before passing the sentence. He called Larry's crimes particularly heinous and noted that alongside psychological terror and manipulation, there was also physical abuse. Judge Lyman said that Larry Ray had gained control over his victims' minds and bodies before he extorted them to do his bidding. The judge praised the victims and said, In a case, this trial speaks volumes about the resiliency of the human spirit. Judge Lyman then sentenced Larry Ray to 60 years in prison, which is effectively a life sentence for a 63-year-old man. A separate hearing has been set to determine the amount of restitution Larry will have to pay his victims. Larry Ray will spend the rest of his life behind bars. At the end of his impact statement, Daniel Levin, a poet and an author, demonstrated the true resiliency of the human spirit that the judge acknowledged. Daniel said, I get this inconceivable, beautiful privilege. I get to live. Executive produced by Elizabeth Rome, Rachel Stockman, Stephen Tolkien, and Sam Goldberg. Edited by Brad Maybe. Researched and written by Adam Klassfeld, Eileen McFarlane, and Emily G. Thompson. Featuring the voices of Justin Black, Arkansas-based YouTuber and owner of the Disturbing Truth YouTube channel as Santos. Paula Barros, host of Cold Case Files podcast as Claudia. And Jillian Jalali from Court Junkie as Felicia. This is Long Crime's Devil in the Dorm.